0: Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Brian Post Online Devotional. And we are going to be going through um, Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verses 6 to 13. This will be part one because we'll come back and make uh, some more comments on this passage in another uh, episode. I'm just going to go ahead and jump in as is my custom. And so again, I'm going to be reading 1 Corinthians 10, 6 to 13. Paul is writing and he says, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted. And were destroyed by serpents, nor complained, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In our previous devotional, we delved into how Paul used the Old Testament events like idolatry, sexual immorality, testing God, and grumbling to emphasize the significance of drawing lessons from history, a message of faithfulness, dependence dependence upon God's grace. Now, let's dive into the intriguing concept in this passage which refers to the end of the air. Believers at that time anticipated that Jesus would come back soon to establish his kingdom within their lifetime. The phrase upon whom the end of the ages have come in our passage this morning indeed raises intriguing questions about the New Testament writer's understanding of the timing of Christ's return and the end of the age. But it suggests a sense of eminence and contemporaneity, is that a word, in their eschatological eschatological expectations. Consider these passages. This is, we've mentioned this before, but these are three passages uh, that Paul makes reference to this idea. The first one we've talked about already because it was in 1 Corinthians 7, 29, 31. But for reminder, he says this, but this I say, brethren, the time is short. So that now on even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. For those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it for the form of this world is passing away. Then we move on to First Thessalonians 15-7. to 7. Many of you will be familiar with this passage, but listen to it. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and with the the dead in Christ shall rise first, when we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then there is Philippians 4, 5, where he says, let your gentleness be known to all men, for the Lord is at hand. But it wasn't just Paul, um, because the, the other apostles, for instance, James, he says this in James 5, 7, 9, had the same idea. He says, let your goodness, um, sorry, he said, James says, therefore be patient brethren until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives earthly and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another brethren lest she be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And then Peter says in first Peter for 4, Seven, but the end of all things is at hand therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers and then of course the writer of revelation John says he um, he says this in John 22 uh, 20 um, he who testifies of this thing says surely i am coming quickly amen even so I come Lord Jesus so the logical conclusion that the f- the first readers of these passages would come to you, is in the imminent return of Christ. They would have interpreted these texts as if they were warnings to them because they were. Every first-century Christ follower would have seen these verses as a call to them to be spiritually prepared, to prioritize their faith over worldly matters, and to eagerly anticipate the second coming of Christ, which they believe would happen in their lifetime. These passages convey a sense of urgency and readiness for the imminent arrival of the Lord. So, what is intended? What is the intended meaning of Paul's phrase when he says, um, when he makes reference to the end of the age? Well, there's been um, various interpretations proposed to understand what what Paul meant by the end of the ages for the reader of his time. It's crucial to remember that this passage was addressed to first century believers and not us today. So, one perspective is Paul was highlighting a spiritual fulfillment rather than a physical one. In Christ's coming, believers entered a new spiritual age marked by the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies and the establishment of the Church. Another perspective suggests it could also signify eschatological an eschatological transition point where the first century believers were living at a pivotal point in God's redemptive plan with the age of the Old Covenant giving way to the age of the New Covenant. And yet, Other scholars suggest, and we agree, that Paul was referring to the age or the end of the Jewish era or age. The destruction of the temple in 70 AD and the dispersion of the Jews were significant events that marked the end of a particular era in Jewish history. Again, the interpretation that Paul was referring to the end of the age or era when he mentioned the end of the ages In this particular passage makes no sense makes sense to us rather from both a biblical and historical context, and here's why. In the teachings of Jesus, there are several prophecies and warnings about the destruction of the Jerusalem temple and the events surrounding it. For example, in Matthew twenty four, Mark thirteen, and Luke twenty-one, Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple and the tribulations that would come upon Jerusalem. We would argue that these prophecies are referring to the events leading up to and including the Roman siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD. The Olivet Discourse found in Matthew 24, Mark 13 and Luke 21 includes specific details about the destruction of the temple and the signs that would precede it. In this discourse, discourse is a crucial this discourse rather is a crucial part of understanding the context in which Paul and the early Christians lived. It underscores the significance of the impending judgment upon Jerusalem and the temple, and we must not forget the words of Jesus. He said, truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all of these things have happened, and that can be found in, again, Matthew 24, 34. Now, in this verse, Jesus is speaking about the signs of the ends of the time and the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Here, Jesus was referring to the events that would culminate in the destruction of the Second Temple in 70 AD, which indeed did occur within the lifetime of some of the early disciples. We acknowledge that our interpretation may not be universally accepted among our Christian brethren. Some argue that Matthew 20, in Matthew 24, the term this generation refers to a different generation. However, we maintain that that when we consider the straightforward meaning of the term in passages like Matthew 11.16, Matthew 12.38.42, and Matthew 12.43-45, where it clearly pertains to the people Jesus was addressing, it seems illogical to suggest that in Matthew 24.34, this generation could mean anything other than the people to whom Jesus was directly speaking. Furthermore, it's worth noting that all of the events and prophecies Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24 did indeed come to pass within the historical context of his disciples. Also, Paul in his letters frequently addresses the tension between Jewish traditions and the message of Christ. He emphasizes the transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant in Christ. The destruction of the temple, which served as the central institution of the Old Covenant was a significant marker of the end of the Jewish age and the tradition, and transition rather into the age of the New Covenant. So now let us consider the historical context. For those interested in the uh, New Testament, we strongly recommend reading the works of Josephus. His writings provide valuable historical historical context and insights in the time, into the time and events surrounding the New Testament and reading it would enhance one's understanding of that particular period. The Jewish War, 66 to 73 AD, and the subsequent siege and destruction of Jerusalem were not only historical events, but had profound theological and eschatological implications. For many Jews it was seen as a as a judgment from God. The early Christian community, with this message of a new covenant centered on Christ, interpreted these events in light of Jesus' prophecy and as a confirmation of the shift from the old to the new. In 70 AD, the Roman Empire, under the leadership of Titus, laid siege to Jerusalem, destroying the Second Temple. And this event was catastrophic and a defining point in Jewish history. It marked the end of the sacrificial system, the priestly service, and the central religious institution of Judaism. The dispersion of the Jewish people, the diaspora, followed, followed, further emphasizing the radical transformation of Jewish life and worship. Early Christian writers, such as the author of the Epistle of Hebrews, interpreted the destruction of the temple as a sign of the superiority of Christ's priesthood and sacrifice over the Levitical system. The early Christians viewed the events of 70 AD as aligning with Jesus' predictions and as evidence of God's hand in history. While well, some theological implications. Paul's use of this phrase underscores the urgency and significance of the Christian message for his contemporaries. It encouraged them to live faithfully and expectantly, knowing that they were living in a time when God's redemptive pur- purposes were actively unfolding. While the New Testament writers did anticipate Christ's return in their lifetime, the Church has come to realize that the exact timing of his return remains a divine mystery known only to God, and the call is only for Christ's followers to remain steadfast in their faith. Some have argued that if Paul was writing to the first century Church, why should we read it today? Many have reasoned it's an ancient text that has no relevance to my contemporary life. Well, okay, this is a a valid and frequently debated topic in discussions of faith and scripture. But to shed light on this matter, here are some key considerations. While the New Testament letters were indeed written to specific first-century Christian communities, they contain principles and teachings and moral guidance that are considered universal and applicable to all Christians everywhere, regardless of the period. The overall message of love, forgiveness, redemption, and so salvation through Christ alone remains relevant to Christians today. In this passage, the message is clear. Believers today must not, their heart, be tainted by the same sins that befell our predecessors. Instead, let us heed the call to stand firm, for no temptation has overtaken us that's not common to humanity. In the labyrinth of trials and tribulations, God's faithfulness shines as a guiding star. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond our strength. And with every test, he provides a way of escape. So, in this modern age, as we navigate the complexities of life, let us look to the pages of history for wisdom. Let us remember that the past is not a distant land, but a mirror reflecting the timeless struggles of the human heart. And in this reflection, may we find strength to stand, the humility to seek divine guidance, and the faith to believe that even in our weakest moments, the path of escape is always illuminated by the enduring light of God's, of God's grace.